This is the Family Passport Podcast, Episode 2, How to Take a Really Long Trip with Kids. What was your favorite things that you got to do or see in France? Mm, I think the Eiffel Tower was my favorite thing, and I really wanted to go to Paris because it was gonna be fun and I like going to new places. Let's get your adventure started. It's the Family Passport Podcast. Join the Barlow family as they travel to Portugal and Paris in this season of FPP. Let us show you how to get your travel on with kids. There's some things that you just don't think about when you're taking the whole family. Like, what happens if two of the kids fall asleep on the longest flight of your trip and literally won't wake up so you have to carry them and try to manage all the luggage at the same time or does your airbnb flat actually have heat i mean why wouldn't it after all but after doing a trip like this you might just have a different appreciation of what it takes i mean what do you even take with if you're traveling for a month or two Hey, welcome back to the Family Passport Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Alyssa. And we are excited to be here today to talk to you about our our trip to Europe and specifically Portugal and Paris, France, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's affirmative. So where were we? Where were we about four months before we took this trip? Four months, we were we were ended up making a lot of decisions. Right, it was it was getting down to the point where we had to start making all these decisions if we were actually going to do this, if we were actually going to take our kids, pull them out of school, take them on a six week trip over to these couple countries in in Europe, and actually make this happen. And we realized that when you're trying to travel with your family, there are a lot of things to do. To prep for it. Is that what you say? Yeah, lots of questions to answer, lots of things to do. Um, and unfortunately, as we started looking for it, not a lot of information about how to travel with your family. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there just wasn't a lot out there. We, I think every time we would try and find out an answer to something, it left us with more questions. I know that's the way that I felt. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to share with you all the things that we learned about prepping to go on this type of extended stay trip, which for us, it wasn't entirely a vacation because we were working along the way as we were, as we were going. But anytime you're going on an extended stay trip and you're uh, hauling all the, all the little kids with, then there's a few more things to think about. Okay. So how do you, how do you want to go about this? You want to talk about the, the planning of the trip first? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. So what, what were some of the things that, that, uh, we had to consider from your perspective, Alyssa? Um, well definitely budget first, uh, which is, you know, depending on whether you have a fixed budget or you just have an amount in mind that you 
want to spend um and you know everything that goes into that what do you have to buy plane tickets obviously and then you know your entertainment costs while you're there uh transportation costs while you're there food while you're there um well, it, and I think what we did too, is we actually put all that stuff into a spreadsheet because we're weirdos and we're spreadsheet people. Is that <laughs> fair to say? Yeah. Okay. So we had all this stuff into a, into a spreadsheet and basically said, okay, here's what we think it's going to cost us for each of these categories. Let's budget. In, in our case, we, we actually allotted about $14,000 for the, for the total trip. Probably could have done it in a lot less. Um, and I think we, after, after the fact came out about right around that, give or take, Right. So we, I haven't finished adding it all up since we got home. Okay. So, (laughs) so the jury's still out, but what, uh, what we did when we segmented out is said, okay, look, we think that we're going to spend X amount of dollars on plane tickets. And we, we did some quick research to be able to figure that out. Went on Priceline, went on Expedia, went on uh, cheaptickets.com, Cheapo Air, and all of these other places really, really quickly just to be able to get an idea of what tickets were running. And then uh, also at the same time said, okay, we're going to allot this much money for food and restaurants based on how many days that we're staying, how, what we think we're going to do. And we just did some quick back of the napkin type math for each area and made an educated guess in going after this budget. Is that, is it, is that, am I yeah, making that up? Or, okay. <laughs> at this point it's been, it's been a few months ago. So, but when we did that, we, we, went through and that really helped us establish a plan. And honestly, for me too, it really helped uh, me think through, okay, what can we actually do? And, you know, if we want to spend uh, $20,000 on an Airbnb or something like that, that means we're going to eat a lot less. Right. Right. Okay. So it's going to be different for you. You're going to have to figure out what your own individual goals are. Uh, But, you know, for us, this, we were determined to do it on right around $14,000. Now, we realized as we got to each piece of that, and as we started making some of those decisions, it wasn't as easy as we thought it would be. For example, you know, figuring out where are we going to stay? We thought, oh, okay, you know what? No problem. We'll just go on Airbnb, pick out a place. It'll be no big deal. You know, that's, that's it, right? And then what happened when we started looking around on Airbnb? Oh my gosh. Well, one, there's so much to choose from on there. Um, and then you realize... Uh, we've never been to Paris before, so we're not really sure where we're supposed to stay in Paris. And are there some areas that aren't good to stay in? Or should we be looking for certain things in places? And since we were working, obviously, uh, internet was a important factor for us since our business is run on the internet. Um, but there's a lot of different options you can choose from. There's a lot of areas in Paris And it's somewhere that we've never been before. Yeah, it was overwhelming at first. I mean, I think we spent like a good couple hours initially looking at it. It's like, I don't even know. I don't know. Just like put it down, walk away from it. (laughs) And that's one of the the cases where it raised more questions than than anything else. Because then we started looking and trying to find out, just like you said, it's like, is there bad places to stay? And if so, where are those? Like, is it safe in the area where this Airbnb flat is? I don't know. So that we came away with all, all these different questions and, and the way that we ended up starting to address this was trying to quantify what we felt we needed. So we at least had a place to start because Mm -hmm. one of the cool things about Airbnb and they've, they've really grown as a company, but 
they allow you to filter out a lot of the a lot of the different options based on what it is that you think that you need. So based on area, based on whether or not you want, I don't know, let's say heat in the apartment, right. which as it turned out, since we, we were visiting Paris, France in the middle of winter, which I would, uh, I, it was very cold, but you get to see a whole different set of Paris at that time. Uh, because you get to see it like as the locals see it in a lot of ways. Right. But it is also very, very cold. And as it turns out, you probably want heat. And we actually laughed when we first saw that question about heat on there. I mean, we understand not a lot of places have air conditioning. We are used to it because of the location that we live in. We live in the desert. Um, and so it's a necessity here. But um, heat, we were like, well, why wouldn't places have heat? I mean, we just, like we didn't even understand that that was an option. Yeah. I mean... I don't know, Florida, maybe, or maybe, I something guess, like that. Arizona, middle of the Mumbai desert, yeah. probably doesn't need heat. <laughs> but Paris, we figured you would probably need heat at some point. But yeah, there were some that didn't have heat. So yes. beware if you're yes. going in the winter. <laughs> yes. So we took all of these different things that we thought were a necessity, and then kind of literally went through the options list and said, "Okay, that is something we yes we would like heat. Yes, you thank you, sir. May I have some heat, please?" and then that was able to help us really pare down the listings because just like you said, Alyssa, it's so overwhelming because there's so many listings at this point, which is awesome because you get a lot of choices, Mm -hmm. but I would, I would advise you to not try and just choose out of the hat. So start with what you know, and a way to do that is just simply figure out what you need based on the options available. So we just made a checklist of things that we needed. We knew we wanted heat. Uh, we knew we needed internet. Uh, we were looking for something that would allow us to hardwire internet versus um, just do wireless internet access. Um, we also knew we wanted a washer and dryer because we were extended staying. And so we knew we would need to do laundry. We couldn't pack enough clothes to take with us. Um, so those are just some of the things that we had on the list. Uh some other tips of stuff that you might want to look for once you narrow it down, some questions you might want to ask um, is if towels and sheets are provided. There are are places we actually stayed um, in Europe a couple years ago and they did not provide towels or sheets, so we had to bring those with us. So that's just something to keep an eye out for. Um, and uh, I guess Scott could probably talk more about this piece because it's his very favorite thing to do. But just because the price says what it is on Airbnb, you may actually be able to get a different price. Yeah. So this is, I'm, uh, I am a bit of a weirdo in that. I love to negotiate things. It is, it is something that I do as a hobby. And yes, I know that's super weird and I'm hundred percent okay with it. But what, what we ended up doing and I would advise you to do the same is absolutely message the person who is the owner of, of the Airbnb listing and ask if you can get it at a lower price. And that's something that we did. Now, one of the things that's really cool about Airbnb is they do actually allow, they allow owners to be able to offer monthly discounts or weekly discounts or things along those lines. But even if they're doing that, there's nothing to say that you can't ask for more, right? And especially if it's not a peak season, they, uh, I don't think they're going to reserve it anyways, then they might have incentive to say yes. And you know what? You're not out anything at all if you ask and they say no. 
instead, you know, you can go ahead and reserve it at whatever price that's listed and then no big deal. Right. So, um, what we did in this particular case is we found one that really lined up with the area that we needed. And it was really, really important to us that it was nearby Metro because when you're, when you've got little kids, like we didn't want to be walking a mile and a half to get to Metro station and granted in Paris, France, there's probably not a mile and a half. <laughs> if you're in central Paris at all, there's probably, you're probably not That's going true. a mile and a half, <laughs> but, uh, but we, we, we ended didn't up, know that at the yeah, time. we didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and the place that we ended up getting had maybe 35 feet from the door, something like that. And you just walk right onto, onto the Metro and, you know, down to the subway and voila, you're in. So we really liked this place. So I just messaged them because they didn't have any kind of a monthly discount and said, Hey, you know what? Here's what our, here's what our budget is. Can you get inside this, this budget? And we ended up getting about 700, I want to say like 700 or some odd dollars off. So we ended up paying about, I want to say 3,500, $3,500 for the entire month. Is that right? I think it might have even been a little bit less than that. Maybe it was like thirty two hundred. Yeah. I think Either way, it yeah. was it was significantly off because they were they were charging closer to five thousand. I yeah. think, uh, and it was it was a pretty decent amount off. Mm-hmm. So I would advise you to do the same, regardless of what our amounts are. <laughs> you know, anytime you can you can save twenty percent or twenty five percent just right. by taking a two minute email and asking. Absolutely do so. So there you go. There's family passport <laughs> hack number one. Voila, voila. Now, a couple of other things that, uh, that you might want to consider is what on earth do you take over there? We had, I don't know how many conversations about this. We stood in stores in some cases trying to figure out, Hey, what's it going to be like? You know, we, we hadn't spent a lot of time in Paris, France in the past at all. So we, we just had no concepts. We were trying to do the research and understood that it might be cold. Do we take lots of layers? Are we going to need winter coats, snow pants? What is this going to look like? But even if, even if you already know that information, then, you know, how much do you pack? Do you take? 10 outfits? Do you take 25? Do you pack like one for like a pair of underwear for every day of the month? And uh, I don't know, that seems blowing it out of proportion, but these were your questions that we were starting to ask. It's like, what, what makes sense? Cause we didn't want to haul over 42 suitcases either. Right. Right. So our goal was everyone to be able to go with a carry on, um, which is quite shocking to a lot of people. If you've traveled internationally before, you will understand, um, why you want to go with carry ons. And we'll talk about that more later. But um, yeah, so our goal was to get everyone's stuff only into a carry-on, which when you're thinking of winter packing can be kind of overwhelming. And it it was a bit overwhelming. Um, We came to the conclusion that about eight days of clothes would be enough knowing that we would be doing laundry um, while we were over there. So we thought, you know, about eight days worth of clothes should get us through. Here's what we found, though. Because after going over there and spending a couple of weeks at a time, we realized there were a few things that we just didn't anticipate at all, right? And one of those was how often we'd be doing laundry. If you have, <laughs> if you have kids, then you are probably used to doing laundry, uh, let's say a fair amount, right? Like, I don't know where the clothes come from. <laughs> I am really fortunate that you do a lot of laundry at our house that, you know, I, 
I don't have to spend a lot of time doing it, but I'm really thankful that you do a whole bunch of it, Alyssa. And over there, it's a bit different. Why is it different? Yeah. So, um, depending on where you're at and you know, what, uh, location you choose, um, we specifically look for something that had a washer and a dryer option, um, because we knew it was winter and we wouldn't be able to hang dry clothing. Um, which is normal by the way, in a right, lot of areas, yeah, not all of, areas of Europe, but a lot in of Europe, you hang dry your clothes, but that doesn't work quite so well in the winter time. Uh, so we were looking for a washer and dryer, uh, getting over there. Our, uh, flat did have a washer dryer combo machine, which means it does the washing and the drying. I still, even after using it for a month, don't quite fathom how it works exactly, but it's awesome though. It's, um, it's all kinds of good magic. Yeah. Uh, it is much smaller than what we are used to in the United States. Um, I mean, I'm used to my super capacity, front load washer and Extra dryer double, that, I, triple, <laughs> that I can yeah. shove huge quantities of laundry into and it all comes magically clean. Um, over there, you cannot do that. You can, I mean, I think probably the largest load I washed had maybe five sets of uh, children's clothes in them. Our clothes, I could only get maybe three pairs of pants and a couple of shirts. Um, so significantly smaller washing size. Um, so I found I was doing laundry way more frequently. I was doing very, very small loads of laundry one to two times a day. Which here's what that meant. We originally set out and said, oh yeah, eight pairs of clothing is the right number. (laughs) That's, that's perfect. But honestly, we could have gotten, we could have gotten away with way less clothing if we wanted to, because if you're doing daily laundry, like you're talking about, then if you've got five sets of clothes, yeah, and you're washing stuff every day, you totally could have done that. And then it makes it makes the carry-on baggage even more possible. Right. And I don't know. My, it was totally counterintuitive to what I thought because it's like, hey, you need more stuff if you're going to go for longer, right? Right. And that actually the opposite was true. Yeah. And even uh, if you're going in a different season, if you don't choose to go in the wintertime, I think you could actually probably even take less clothing Um, because you just, you, we didn't change it as frequently. The kids rewore stuff. We were able to rewear stuff and you just don't need as much, um, layering in the summertime or a warmer time of the year than we did. We, most days I had about five layers of clothing on, uh, between shirts and coats and pants and multiple pairs of socks. And (laughs) I did not have five layers of clothing (laughs) just to, just to be clear. Okay. Maybe I'm a bit of a baby, but it was significantly colder than, than what I thought it would be. So <laughs> plus the other thing that I found over there, you know, here, I guess I, maybe you don't care what people see you wearing, but I don't want to wear the same thing every day. Well, over there you had, I had at least two coats on every single time we left the house. So nobody knew what I was wearing under it anyway. <laughs> it, they only saw the coat. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just in, in considering what to pack, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to insert your own level of comfort with, uh, how many different outfits and everything like that. And how many layers do you want to wear <laughs> depending on the seasons, depending on your cold tolerance. But after you insert that, I would advocate that you probably, if you're going for an extended period of time, need less than you actually think that you would need. At least that's what we found, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's talk about these plane tickets because 
there are oh wait before we move on to plane what? tickets we i think we mentioned it in the beginning but you can also find our packing list on uh, familypassport.co oh yeah you can go over to familypassport.co and download the packing list you can see everything that we took and you can actually uh, take that we've got it in a document where you can just take it and modify it for your family but uh, you'll see exactly what we took and how we did that and it makes it nice and easy so you don't forget anything. In fact, what we did is we printed out one of those lists for each of the kids too so that they could we'd check off uh, check off each thing to make sure that uh, they had exactly what they needed. So we literally had assembly line style suitcase where <laughs> we could just go through, check off for each suitcase that we had everything, made it super, super easy. Yeah, which allowed them to help pack, take part in it, and it um, made it so we didn't have to do all of the packing ourselves. Which was kind of awesome. It was. Yeah, and everything got over there. Yes. Which was also kind of awesome. Yes. Okay. Ready for plane tickets now? Okay, now we can. Let's talk about those plane tickets. <laughs> we got a steal of a deal compared to what we thought we were going to. For sure. Now, uh, I know there's all kinds of uh, rules, superstition, things that uh, people have heard about there, uh, about plane tickets on and on. Like you have to, uh, I don't know, turn around twice and tap your toes and... I don't even know, but there's all kinds of stuff out there that I have heard about purchasing plane tickets and on and on. So we want to just kind of give you some of the stuff that we have found to consistently be true and some of the reasons why as well. Now, what I'll tell you is that this is true the majority of the time, not 100% of the time. So what are, what are a couple of those things, Liz? Uh, I think the biggest tip, um, and it has yet to not work for us. We cannot guarantee that it will work for you, but <laughs> it has yet to not work for us. Foolproof, unless it doesn't work. Right. Um, we were given a tip several years ago, actually, before we went to Europe the first time, um, that there's about a six to eight week window prior to your trip where airfare, for whatever reason, seems to drop. So it seems to be high if you want to purchase your tickets far in advance just because you want the security of knowing that you have the tickets purchased which can be valuable um which yeah there's definitely value into that we have we never more interested felt in that we less. needed to purchase them super far in advance um and we're always looking for a deal so uh, I, I, I did watch plane tickets, you know, when we first started budgeting, I kind of, we looked to see what it was and then I kind of periodically checked on it. Um, and then after about six weeks, you hit the six weeks prior to your departure date, um, you hit the last minute fares, which significantly spike. So you definitely, in our opinion, don't want to wait more than, you know, you don't want to get within that six week window of your departure date. Um, and I think we ended up purchasing ours almost right at eight weeks. Right I about think. eight weeks. Yeah. yeah. It's right about eight weeks out. So um, this is about two months out prior to the time that we wanted to go. Right. And we had, just like you said, Alice, we'd been watching it for a while. And when we looked it up almost a year in advance, I know you freaked out a little bit because you're right, like, oh my goodness, it is going expensive. to cost us $14,000 just for the plane ticket. So you can't go. Oh my goodness. Ripping yeah. hair out. Right. Yeah. And. I think that we just let it ride. I tried to talk you off the ledge. And then, <laughs> and then of course, once we got about six to eight weeks out, then it dropped dramatically, dramatically. Right. So I actually, um, we, like I said, we were periodically checking and then we had seen prices drop down and to about, um, you know, what we had paid in the past to 
um, go to Europe and about what we had budgeted for, what we had planned on paying. And so, you know, we were feeling pretty comfortable with it, getting ready to purchase tickets. And then as Scott's talking about superstitions, I had a dream one night that plane tickets skyrocketed. And so it was about, and we were about eight, seven or eight weeks. I think it was about eight weeks. And I had this dream and I said, okay, we have to purchase tickets now. I don't know (laughs) why, but, um, and then we just happened to get on and look at plane tickets and there was a dramatic price drop. So I don't know. I just remember you texted me and said something Yeah, I mean, it was our our plane tickets, you know, granted it it changes from year to year. It changes from day to day um, what you can find. But um, there were tickets that we could have purchased for as little as $500 per person, which in international international travel travel is pretty much unheard of. Now, granted, those were horrible layover times and like, two days you arrived in Paris two days after we (laughs) left the United States so I mean the $500 tickets were it was it would not have been pleasant but we ended up with tickets where it was only we had one layover um in Amsterdam in Amsterdam and it was a decent layover time it wasn't a super short connection um so you know i mean we and we ended up paying i think it was like 734 a person yeah which still for international travel I mean, I was thinking under a thousand would be fantastic. We figured initially when we budgeted probably between a thousand and twelve hundred, I think is what we yeah figured. So, so here's here's I think what uh, what you need to consider is first of all, go ahead and establish your budget like we had talked about and figure out you know when you can reasonably make those decisions and what level of comfort you have with waiting versus not waiting. And then if you can, uh, generally what we found is that six to eight week out window, six to eight week out from your trip is where we've experienced the the lowest prices again and again and again. Yeah. And we've got a number of friends that travel fairly regularly, actually very, very regularly and those are those are the people that have, have advised us to do that pretty consistently. And so far, it's it's worked. But here's what I would say: is I'd love to hear your your travel tips. Drop a drop an email over to uh, either me Scott at familypassport.co or Alyssa A L Y S S A at familypassport.co and let us know what you found for for your plane ticket purchasing and how many times you have to turn around and tap your toes in order to get the prices lower. I'm super curious. Okay. So let's, let's wrap up a few of these tips and what else people should consider anytime they're prepping for a massive trip. How about let's, let's talk about getting to the airport. How much time for should people allow for that? What should they consider there? Huh? Uh, yeah. So I think, um, one last tip on purchasing the plane tickets. I think that this was a um, this was something that I just found through looking at tickets. Uh, if you are not flying to an area that is like a really main hub, like say Paris, a lot of people fly into Paris. So if you're flying somewhere else, we were initially flying to Portugal, um, Lisbon, Portugal, which is also a fairly large airport and a fairly um, main hub but not for where we were coming from, from the western side of the United States. Um, So if you can 
you know, have some time um, to, to take and look. It was much cheaper for us to buy round trip plane tickets in and out of Paris and then buy a separate plane ticket to get to um, Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, it did not seem to work the same way in the United States. So it was not cheaper for us to buy a plane ticket, say, out of like Seattle into a major hub in the U.S. on the East Coast like Newark and then fly from there into Lisbon. That did not work well. But to fly into a main hub in um, Europe specifically, because that's what we're talking about here. And then if you're flying to another area outside of that plane tickets, um, I don't know what you would call them, inner inner European plane tickets seem to be much less expensive. Intercontinental? I don't know. Well, no, because, well, yeah, I guess intercontinental. I don't know. Anyway. If you know that, just drop yeah, us a line. Yeah, you know the terminology <laughs> there that we're supposed to be using. Anyway, I found yeah. that that to be a cheaper way of purchasing our plane tickets. The other thing to keep in mind is that if you do have a stop in the U.S., you will have to collect your baggage and recheck it um, before you get on your international flight. So don't fly So back. we would advise not to do that Try or to do don't it. check baggage. Yeah. Because when you're hauling little kids around yeah. and you're trying to enter what you've claimed or what you've uh, what you've declared into the customs machine, well, whether even it's automated the US, or anything else along those to, lines. There was extra yeah. steps if you were flying somewhere in the U.S. first. So just be advised of that. When Might not be that big tickets. of a deal if you're traveling alone, but if you have seven little kids in tow, then it's kind of a big deal. So right. one other thing to consider. Now... Okay, now How about to that getting airport? to the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because this, th- this, I think, is something that can be a big, hairy deal and kind of a pain for people unless you take uh, take some steps and consider it up front. And then, actually, it was a really, really pleasant experience. It was, actually. And <laughs> it can easily not be. Right. So here's what we mean. When when we were actually going to the airport the first time, our, our kids haven't flown extensively you know they've been on an airplane like once twice three times i don't know they've been not not very often well actually i think only one of them remembers flying on an airplane so well camden's been yeah, kentucky i don't know we, yeah. we we don't really have a clue apparently not our much. kids our kids have not yeah. flown much yeah <laughs> let's, let's leave it there they're not veteran flyers as right. it turns out so we we took them to the airport and they we allowed just a bunch of extra time. So we actually got there probably what, three hours early. We did. Yeah. Actually I think we might've been even a little bit more before hours early. weather yeah. conditions. Yeah. So we allowed a bunch of extra time compared to what we normally would have. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was actually really, really helpful in a couple of regards. First of all, because since we haven't traveled really extensively with our kids all over the world, we're working on changing that, uh, you know, one, one country at a time, but you know, since we haven't, this was, this was kind of new for us and new for them. So it made it so much less stressful. Yeah. Like there was, I felt zero stress. Yeah. Mm-mm. And the other thing that it did too, is it allowed us to be able to explore. So I remember walking through the airport and we allowed the kids to find the way through the airport. Like they had to pick out the signs. They had to look at the maps. We would stop and look over here. If they saw something that, that they found interesting, we'd just stop and, and look at it for a while and you know read the signs or go stop by the airplanes. And it completely changed the experience. Mm-hmm. We weren't rushing through to get to the right place to make sure we made it on time. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, w- I would encourage you to do the same too, because if you're going and you're you know taking the time to take your kids and go on this experiential type trip, 
and you've been looking forward to it for an extended period of time, well, then we might as well start from the very, very beginning. So small thing, but it sets just an amazing tone for that entire trip. And it worked out the same way on the way flying home from Paris. Yeah. Um, you know, we gave ourselves lots of time. We didn't know what the lines would look like or how much uh, immigration or customs or whatever we would have to go through there. So we gave ourselves plenty of extra time, but it worked out the same way. The kids were able to help us find the right places to go. They were able to, you know, I guess as leisurely as you can get through security. We weren't worried when our bags got pulled aside because somebody forgot to take a water bottle out of it. I mean, (laughs) so, you know, if, if you give yourself the extra time, it actually can be an enjoyable experience at the airport. Now here's what we didn't anticipate. Here's, here's the other side of, of international travel with kids that we just didn't, didn't even consider. I didn't consider it. Maybe you had the foresight, but when we were traveling from one side of the United States, across the United States, and then across an ocean all the way to the center of Europe, then we had obviously some pretty long flights. And since we were on those pretty long flights and it was changing from daytime to nighttime and everything else was going on, our kids just fell asleep. And if your kids are anything like our kids, we have at least one that doesn't wake up at all. And if he, we try and wake him up, he is cranky, (laughs) cranky. So, uh, so we had one, one kid in particular that stayed up on the entire flight and you know, this was a 10, what, 10, 10, 11 hour flight, something along those lines. And it stayed up the entire flight was absolutely determined, wouldn't go to sleep. And then on the next flight, he conked out, Mm -hmm. completely conked out. And then we had to carry him through the airport. Yeah. (laughs) Partially kicking and screaming. Right. Yeah. So I, I did not anticipate that at all. And what we were worried is like, okay, what happens if all three of them fall asleep? Right. What then do we get one of the TSA agents to, you know, <laughs> throw him on his back and then go trucking through the airport? Like, how does that work? So that is, that is something totally did not anticipate. And I would say a couple of different things to make it easier. First of all, try and schedule your flights so that it works out with their sleep schedule and just kind of give that a little consideration. And Which then, is kind of difficult to do with international flights because yeah. they don't, they only fly so many times. So yeah, yeah. It's a little it's, tricky. So if it's possible, then then give that a little bit of consideration. And if it's not, too, you know, some other things that uh, that you can do is, as it turns out, the luggage carts are free in, in, Europe. in yes. Europe, which is different than some areas of the U.S. And I think at one point we threw, uh, not literally threw, but set the set one of the kids on top of the luggage cart <laughs> on top of the luggage so that we could get them through the airport. So uh, yeah. very improvised solution. But if it comes down to it grab a luggage cart and go. Yep. Otherwise, you know, just, just anticipate that that might be. So so if you have six kids, uh, I hope one of them is big enough to carry the other. Right. (laughs) All right. Hey, anything else that, uh, that you'd advise people before they go on a trip like this to, to consider upfront, whether it be actual, you know, tangible stuff or anything else that they should consider? Um, I don't think so. I think the only other thing, a little, after you know we experienced it maybe so you don't have to uh if you do check baggage um beware of your connection times in between flights Uh, we had an issue on the way home where we had a short connection time our flight was delayed got to the airport in amsterdam 
sprinted through the airport in Amsterdam to oh, make it out. to our next gate. And Amsterdam is a lovely airport and they were very helpful to us uh, as we're full out sprinting to the next gate when the airline apparently has a policy where if it the connection becomes too short, they choose not to transfer your baggage in time. So although we made it to the gate with the airplane still there, the airline decided not to transfer our baggage because the connection time was too short. So just something to be aware of if you do end up checking baggage. Um, We didn't realize that. We didn't know that would be a problem. And when you miss an international flight, it's not quite as easy to fix, especially when it's a family of five people versus, you know, just one or two people that need on the next airplane. As it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little tip. We experienced it. Maybe you won't have to. (laughs) There you go. You know, the only other thing that I would I would throw out there for you to, is to give some consideration. I know we talked a lot about what we wanted out of the trip. I don't know that we like sat down and wrote it out or anything along those lines, but we had a lot of conversation. And honestly, that was part of that was half the fun, I would say, is we decided we were going to take this trip over a year in advance before we actually took it. Mm-hmm. And the planning and the talking and the conversations and the kids getting excited and us learning French in the car on the way to on the way to school, taking them to school in the mornings and all of those sorts of things, I think were half the fun for the trip itself. But through a lot of those conversation, we naturally were talking about what we wanted out of the trip. And every time we'd think of something, we'd be excited to share it with one another. And I think that having having all that conversation and, and having all that deliberation, if you will, um, caused us to get quite a few different things out of the trip that we wouldn't have otherwise. And, you know, that made it, that made it very, very intentional. So that, that made it a lot more fun because, and we, I mean, that's where we ended up coming up with things like, Hey, you know what? We want our kids to have this type of experience. How can we do that? Okay. Well, let's have them keep a journal each day so that they can reflect on, uh, you know, what, uh, what they got to do that particular day and they can keep that journal and they can remember it years later, or they can come back and share that with their class and be able to tell them all about it and show them the pictures that they drew and, uh, and, you know, those types of things. So I would, I would advise you to take a, take a little bit of time up front, talk to your significant other and talk to, talk to your kids and figure out what you all want out of it. Because if you can identify some of the things that you want out of it, then it's a lot easier to be able to get those. For sure. For sure. All right. Hey, we'll see you next time on the family passport podcast. All right. Bye. See you there. Thanks so much for listening to the Family Passport Podcast. Head on over to familypassport.co, that's familypassport.co, to learn how to travel with your kids, get travel tips, and even the tools that we've used to take amazing family trips. We'll see you next time on FPP. What did you think of the parks in Paris? Um, I liked the uh, right across the street. The park that was really close by to us? Yeah. What did you call that park? The Eiffel Tower Park. The Eiffel Tower Park? Why was it called the Eiffel Tower Park? Because it had an Eiffel Tower.
What did you do on that Eiffel Tower? I climbed it. It was a pretty cool park. What else did we do at that park? Uh, we did an obstacle course. We did do an obstacle course, yeah. <laughs> was that your, that was your favorite park? Yeah. What, what was your favorite things that you got to do or see in France? I think the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower at night. Ooh. Why was, why was the Louvre one of your favorites? Because it had these big pyramids. Ah, uh, you really like pyramids? That were just eye-catching. Mm. What about the Eiffel Tower at night? It was so sparkly. It was really, really sparkly, wasn't it? Okay, goodbye. I hope you have a great time hearing this. <laughs>